Um, Father God, I just ask, Lord, uh, that you would meet us here. I know you're here. Um, and Father God, I just pray um, that you would use me to communicate your words to your people. Um, just help me to clearly communicate what you have for us today. Uh, just take all the nerves and whatever way, and just that it would be your word to, for your people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so it's been about a month ago. Um, Bryce and the elders were working through a book together when we get together called Pursuing God's Will Together, a discernment practice. And we were in, uh, I forget which chapter it is, but it was talking about the three foundations of being able to discern God's will. And the third building block is a deep belief in the goodness of God. And it says, any good leader... Christian leader can wax eloquent about the goodness of God. It is, after all, one of God's attributes. But many of us don't believe in God's goodness enough to trust God with the things that are most important to us. We may have suffered things for which we subtly blame God. <clears throat> Perhaps God has disappointed us when we trusted Him with something important. God's people have disappointed us. The process has disappointed us. Many of us are self-made people. We rely on ourselves and are proud of it. Truth be told, we don't really want to trust anyone but ourselves. How can we give ourselves to someone we're not sure will be good for us or to us? And I've read that before we had our meeting, and then I went back and, and read it again. And honestly, at that point, I was really struggling to see God's goodness. We've sung about it all morning. Um, things were happening in our family and our, my dad, Jamie's dad, um, just diagnosis where the prognosis wasn't very good. Um, my son asking the question, why did my old family want me? Why didn't they love me? I didn't have the answers for him and just really struggling, um, to see God's goodness. Um, if God is good and we've sung about it already this morning, then why do bad things happen? Why do we have to struggle? Why is there so much pain? Why is there death? Why do we lose the ones we love too soon? Um, I'll give you some dates that I wrote down, and I didn't even realize as I was working on this that this would be Memorial Day. Um, so the first date I'd wrote down is December 7th, 1941. I think you guys probably know what that date is, Pearl Harbor. 2,403 lives lost. June 6th, 1944, D-Day. Over 10,000 lives lost. Um, and let's just stop for a minute. Is there any veterans in here today at all? One for sure, Elijah. Thank you for your service. And... I think we should, if you will allow me, take a moment of silence in memory of the men and women who've lost their lives for the freedoms that we enjoyed. So let's just take a moment in remembrance of them. Thank you. Uh, going on, the Holocaust, 1941 to 1945, over 6 million people dead. Um, 8 
Hurricane Katrina. Over 1,300 lives lost, billions of dollars in damages. Um, 1346 to 1353, the bubonic plague, Black Death, over 200 million lives lost. If you're local, this date probably will stand out to you. November 5th of 1985, the flood. Um, I was in sixth grade, I think, at the time. Over $1.4 billion of damage, 11-6-2011. Um, we'll get to that date later. Um, so we see all this death, destruction, plague, and we, it just it stuck out to me. God, how, how are you good when we see all this hurt, pain? The Bible's full of scriptures that talk about his goodness. Psalm 34, 8. No, Chris, can you, yeah. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Nahum 1.7, the Lord is good, a refuge in times of trouble. First Chronicles 16.34, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Mark 10.18, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. So we have all these scriptures we've sung all morning about God's goodness. So why do bad things happen? Why do we see so much pain, so much hurt? I'm going to touch on three things. And the first question I wrote down is, why do bad things happen? Um, and I think we can start in Genesis. Um, Genesis 1.31. On the sixth day, God looks out and saw what he had created and said, it's good. Well, I don't think this is the good God was talking about. We went from a short path from him looking out, seeing, and looking at all creation, saying it's good. And along comes Adam and Eve, and what happens? I think we all know that story. He tells them not to eat of the apple, and we eat the apple, and the first sin has entered the world. So, and it's a very short trip, one generation, to we get to Cain and Abel, and we have the first murder. So we see how quickly the creation that God said was good is already starting into a decline. Sin has caused creation to fall from a perfect state in which God created it. Through that original sin, we have death, decay, struggle. Um, it was not the world that God created it to be. John 16.33 Jesus talking to the disciples says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. He didn't say may have trouble, might have trouble. He said you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Job 2.10, which I kind of laughed when I was reading it. Um, all that Job went through, all he lost, his wife he said, why don't you just lay down and die and curse God? And what does Job say? I can just imagine some of us telling our wives this. You're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? And I think that just reiterates that he's telling us that this is not the world I created. You're going to have trouble. Um, it's not perfect the way I intended it to be. So let's look at those troubles. Um, and the second thing I came down, wrote down was God's discipline. Could our troubles, momentary troubles, be disciplined from God? 
That's a word we don't like to think about. How could God discipline? God's love, right? He doesn't want to hurt us. He doesn't, it's hard to think of God being mad at us like our fathers being mad at us. Um, Hebrews 12:5-7 says, uh, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children, for what children are not disciplined by their father? Deuteronomy 8.5 Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord God disciplines you. Back to Job 5.17.18 Blessed is the one whom God corrects, so you do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he wounds, but he also binds up. He injures, but his hands also heal. Of course, everybody probably knows this one. Proverbs 13, 24, spare the rod and spoil a child. So discipline, that's a word that's, we're like, what? God's going to discipline us if we're not trusting in Him, if we're not believing in Him, if we're not following Him? And I wrote this down because at the post office, um, we have what's called a PDI, a preliminary discipline interview. So it wouldn't have been nice to have that as a kid when your father was mad at you. Let's have an interview here first. Um, but basically what happens is you've got your union rep and you've got your management. And if somebody breaks a rule, you have a PDI. You get to sit and plead your case as to why you shouldn't be disciplined. Um, isn't it great that we have a union rep sitting at the right hand of the father pleading our case? Is why we shouldn't be disciplined. Um, the discipline that we deserve. Who took our discipline that we deserve and still sitting at the right hand of the Father pleading for us. Um, but their whole thing with the post office is discipline should be corrective, not punitive. And I thought about that. And I can, I won't say fondly remember, but definitely remember sitting in Gino's restaurant and Decided I didn't want the plate of spaghetti that my parents had ordered for dinner, so I chucked it in the floor. And I can promise you, discipline was corrective and punitive that time. So, um, but God doesn't use this, He's not using discipline to punish us, um, it's to bring us to repentance and back to a right relationship with Him. And just a couple examples. Um, I can remember reading this story. It was Brantley's favorite story. Any of you know Brantley knows that he loves sharks and whales, and that's his thing. And we used to read the story of Jonah, I don't know how many times. It seemed like at least twice a week. Um, but in that story, God gave Jonah a job. He wanted him to go to Nineveh because it was a wicked place, and he wanted to try to save them before, as only God would. He doesn't desire to see anyone perish. So he was going to give him a shot, and he was going to send Jonah to try to save the people of Nineveh. Old Jonah, he didn't like the people of Nineveh, so what's he do? He makes a beeline for the seashore to hop a boat, hit the Joppa, and hit the other direction. Why would I want to save my enemies? So while he was on the boat, God sends a storm. He tells the people, it's my fault. I'm running from God. I'm trying to hide. I'm not listening. I'm not obeying. 
They chuck him overboard. God sends a whale to swallow him up. Spent three days in the belly of that whale. Here we have a perfect picture of God disciplining Jonah. Even though he was disciplined, he still cared for him. I can't imagine being inside of a whale's belly for three days, but whatever he needed to use to get his attention, he did. Um, I think that's an example of God's discipline to bring him back into the right relationship, back to what he originally called him to do. We know the story, I think, very well. Whale spits Jonah out. He hits hits the Nineveh to to accomplish what God told him to do. I think another perfect example of that, of God's discipline, is this Israel. They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness as a punishment, as a discipline for not trusting and claiming what God had already promised them. He sent them to the promised land. He promised them this land, and they're camped outside, and the 12 spies go in. Ten of them come back scared to death. We can't do this. They're too big. There's, there's no way. Only two, only two said, no, we, we need to do this. So as a discipline, that generation, 40 years, would never see the promised land. They spent wandering in the wilderness. But even in his discipline, God still provided for them. They still had food. He got, you know, they still had the manna. <clears throat> so even in God's discipline, even I know there's fathers in here, even in your discipline, you still love your child. It's not done as out of anger. Well, maybe sometimes it's done out of anger. Um, but you want to bring that child back into the right relationship, back to what he needs to be where he needs to do to accomplish the goal that you want him to do, or they do, them to do. Um, and that's what God does. Um, and it's hard to think of a trial or something that we're going through. Could it possibly be a discipline from God? So I had two questions that I wrote down, and I know Bryce likes to have discussion, but I'm not going to have discussion. <laughs> but two questions for you to think about this week. Um, what has God called you to that you're trying to run from, like old Jonah? And the second one is, what has God called you to that you're refusing to do out of fear, like the Israelites? Um, and just pray on that and seek God this week to see, is there something there, God, that you're calling me to that I'm trying to run from? Or is there something that you've promised me that I'm refusing to claim out of fear? And the third thing, this might be the quickest message you guys have ever had to sit through, um, is trials and tribulations, testing. We don't like those words because that usually means pain. That usually means defeat, um, hurt, fear. Acts 14.22, I got Paul and Barnabas Paul had just been beaten, and he's preaching. He says, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. And that's hard for us. Um, It's hard for me. Uh, I don't know about you, but I do not like to go through hardships. 
I try to avoid confrontation as much as possible. I like everything to be nice and even keel. Um, but you can see here that we're not promised that. I, think, I don't think you can read your Bible and not see that we're going to have testing and we're going to have trials and we're going to have tribulations. And this is coming from Paul, and I just wrote down here, Paul, I would put him on the all-star team. I love baseball, so Paul would be on my all-star team. Um, so we have, here we have Paul, who's an all-star of the faith. He was beaten five times with 39 lashes, because they wouldn't beat you 40 times. Three times he was beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked three different times. He was jailed. And all this time, what did he do when he was in jail? He was singing and praising and still serve, trying to serve God. Um, and in 2 Corinthians, this is what he wrote. 2 Corinthians 12, uh, I'll just start in verse 7. Or because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore in order to keep me from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong." And I think that goes well with what Bryce, I know we started the series on the parables, and I think about the first two parables, um, the Beatitudes, he was blessed as the poor in spirit, blessed are those who mourn. Um, it's in that weakness, it's in that when there's nothing left, I have nothing left. That's when we turn to God, that's when God's like, yeah, this is it, now you can see me, now I'm here. Now I'm going to comfort you. Now I'm going to come alongside you. Now I'm going to walk with you through this. Um, so I left the 11-6-2011 off. I said we'd get to that later. That was my trial. Um, I don't, many of you probably know in here, that's the day um, our daughter Taitlin died. Um, worst day of my life. Uh, as I sit by our bedside, and the doctor said, there's nothing else we can do. Um, and I'm praying and praying, no, God, you can, surely, you're not going to take her. Not, not now. She's only 12. She's got her whole life in front of her. Um, but I can just remember praying and trusting that there was going to be a miracle, right? God, he raises the dead. He heals the blind. He's, he can save her. He can take her. And when that didn't happen, I was angry. I was mad. I was questioning, God, are you really good? If you're so good, then why didn't you save my daughter? Why didn't this happen? And for three months I argued and, and had to deal with the pain and, and the defeat and the, and the just doubt of, God, are you really good? You took my daughter. Why should I trust you? And in a light like Paul, it wasn't until that I was completely broken and there was nowhere left to turn that I just had to lay it at God's feet and trust and know that he is good and that she is where she wanted to be and that she is with him and that I will see her again one day. 
So let me ask you, what trial are you going through? What date has left its mark on you? I'm sure there are many here, maybe publicly or even secretly, are dealing with a trial, a testing is a word that um, I've seen used, and that's what trial, what test is God using to bring you closer to his feet and bring you closer to him? James 1.2 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. I can promise you on November 6th, I didn't consider it pure joy. And joy is it's not a feeling of happiness. Joy is a permanent attitude that I'm going to be joyful no matter what happens, that I will see God no, no matter what happens. It's hard to see the joy in the suffering. None of us like to suffer. Jesus, in the garden, even asked. He knew what was coming. He knew he was going to endure the cross. He knew what suffering he was going to be suffering. He even asked, God, if there's another way. But ultimately chose not his will, but the Lord's will be done. The suffering does not go back, come, return void. Three things that suffering produces. Perseverance, patience, perseverance, patience, character, and hope. And I wrote down perseverance. The Greek word literally means to abide under or stay under the pressure. Suffering teaches us to turn to Jesus and to hang in there. Suffering produces a steadiness, a patience for endurance. We don't like that endurance. That means that suffering is going to last for a while. It's not going to be short term. But it produces a steadiness and a patience. I don't like the idea of having to be patient and endure suffering. But if you think of a diamond, it starts as a lump of coal, and it takes the heat and the pressure before it to become a beautiful diamond. Character. The Greek word for character has the idea of being put to the test and approved. It means being shown to stand strong. People see strength in us when we suffer well. And they know they can count on us in spite of the circumstances. Suffering produces strength for endurance. And the third thing is hope. Hope is a confident expectation. Our hope is a certainty in knowing that we will become conformed to the image of Christ and that we will share the glory of God. Suffering produces a Christ-centered and forward-focused mind for endurance. There's that word again, endurance. To fight the good fight. To run the race to the finish. We're not guaranteed that we're, not, we're going to have pain or trials or troubles, but that we are being conformed into his image through our suffering, through whatever the tests we're going through, that he's drawing us to him and conforming us into his image. Like I said, this might be the quickest message you guys have ever had to sit through. 
Um, so in closing, um, how do we trust God is good? And there's, I think, three beautiful examples of trusting God. And it's ironic that two of them are in the same scripture. So in Luke, we have, let me find it, story of the bleeding woman. So now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him. Sorry, it's Luke chapter 8, verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of 12, was dying. We're talking about Jairus, the synagogue ruler here now. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. Like, how would you know somebody touched you? But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet in the presence of all the people. And she told why she had touched him and how she had been healed instantly. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. We have, here we have the bleeding woman suffering trial for 12 years. Knew that she could just get to Jesus and touch his cloak that she'd be healed. Even through her suffering, knew all she had to do was get to him, get to the feet of Jesus. And what's he tell her? Your faith has healed you. And ironically, it's in the same story as the second. Let's talk about Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Um, so he would have been in the synagogue, so he would have known how they, at this time, Jesus was threatening their power. But yet he knew something was different. Um, and he went begging and pleading for Jesus to come heal his daughter. So while Jesus was speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and told him his daughter was dead. He said, don't bother the teacher anymore. And hearing this, Jesus turned to Jairus and said, not be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. And I think we know the rest of the story. Jesus goes in and heals the daughter. But I go back to what he said, don't be afraid, just believe. Just have faith. Through the trial, through the temptation, through the testing, whatever it is, have faith. Faith in my goodness. Faith that I'll do what I say I will do. And the last one, which I really find amazing, is the Roman centurion. Here we have the Roman centurion, who the Jewish people saw as their oppressors, who wanted freed from. In chapter 7 of Luke, it says, When Jesus had finished saying all this to the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. 
The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some of the elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation and has built our synagogue. So Jesus went with him. He was not far from the house when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I do not deserve to have you come under my roof. It's interesting he called him Lord. So that is why I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself, as a, I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go and he goes and that one come and he comes. I say to my servant do this and he does it. He said I tell you I have not found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had been sent returned to the house and found the servant well. Here we have that word again, faith. Roman centurion, wasn't even a Jew, knew that he, he could plead with Jesus that he would heal his servant. Faith that God is good. Faith that he will do what he says he will do. I think that's what it boils down to for us. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what trial you may be going through. I don't know what God might be calling you to. But know this, that whatever you're suffering, whether it's disease, a disease, an incurable disease, I'm on that list. Nothing like coming home from your honeymoon to go to the doctor to find out that you've been diagnosed with an incurable disease that you'll be fighting the rest of your life. Whatever it is your test is, whatever it is your trial is that you're going through, like I said, a loss of a loved one, tough family decisions, loss of a job, we could just keep going and going. Um, Trust that God is good. Um, Trust that your suffering is producing in you endurance. Endurance to finish strong, to receive your um, inheritance in heaven. I read one other thing. I meant to print it off and I didn't. So hopefully I can pull it up here real quick. About suffering. But trust that your suffering and pain is not in void, that it is going to accomplish the work that God wants to accomplish in your life. Endure well and trust in Him that He is good. So I'll leave you with um, this scripture, 2 Corinthians 4, 17, 18. It says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. 
So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So as you go out this week, I pray that whatever trouble you're going through, I know for me, sometimes it doesn't really feel light and momentary. It feels like it weighs and crushing and heavy. But know that you're being refined in the refiner's fire and that you'll come out a beautiful diamond. And we'll close with a song. So I left that meeting questioning God's goodness. God, how can you say you're good when I see all this pain? Our family is experiencing all this pain. Get in the truck, turn the key, and this is the first song that came on. And every song after it, all the way home, was singing about the goodness of God. So leave it to God. That's funny. That's not funny. God's good. He knows what he's doing. And that just as a reassurance that, hey, I am good. And yes, you can trust me. Um, so it's just a lyric video. The words will be up here. It's really easy to follow. It's kind of repetitive almost. Um, but I just pray this week that you would seek God um, in whatever trial you're going through, whatever suffering you're going through, and know that he is there and that he will produce in you endurance. He'll produce in you character, and he'll produce in you hope. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you are good. You are a good, good Father. God, that you love us. You love us just the way you, we are, but you refuse us to leave us that way. God, that you're constantly molding and shaping us into your image. God, I pray that we would allow that to happen in our lives this week. God, that um, whatever trial, whatever trouble, God, that we would seek joy in you, knowing that you're conforming us to your image. Go with us this week, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.